Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. I'm here with Rachel Levin. We are the team that brings you Blazing Trails. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Michael. It's great to be here again. Today, we have another great episode of Blazing Trails with Damon John. He's an entrepreneur, investor, best-selling author, and most of us probably know him from Shark Tank. Damon was featured in our Stories of Resilience program, a series where small business leaders share true and inspiring stories of how they've navigated these challenging times. Rachel, tell us what we're going to hear today. Well, we're going to hear from Damon and his story is really kind of the stuff of legends. You know, he started his lifestyle brand FUBU when he was in his 20s, just selling hats at hip hop concerts. He obviously recognized that, you know, this was more than just music. This was a movement. And he ended up creating a six billion dollar empire. So it's a pretty good record there for success. Yeah, and it's a great story of grit and determination. You know, some of the things that really resonated with me is his idea around the secret of success being how you react to failure and how data is so key to understanding how to deliver the right thing to the customer at the right time. And most importantly, what he looks for when deciding to invest in a company. Yeah, I think that last one is key for our listeners who are big Shark Tank fans. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's get to it. Here is Damon John in conversation with Paul Pedrezzi, SVP of product at Salesforce. Enjoy the show. My name is Paul Pedrazzi. I am the Senior Vice President of Product here in our Essentials business. If you're not familiar, Essentials is the easiest way to get started with Salesforce. It's designed and built for small companies and solo entrepreneurs. So I am pumped for today. So here's what's in store for you today. We're going to begin with a fireside chat with Damon John, founder and CEO of FUBU and one of the co-stars of the hit ABC show, Shark Tank, probably where you know him from. So as we go, you'll hear things that interest you. Jot them down. Jot down those questions. You will get a chance at the end of the hour here to ask them. And when you do, please remember, include your name, include your company, and include your location. And so with that, I'd like to jump into the conversation with Damon. So Damon, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And sorry about that issue. Let's, uh, let's get this party started. Oh, yes. It was, it was very 2020. I thought we were through all that stuff. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to make it work. Glad we're talking. And, you know, I wanted to maybe first start touching on your journey. I mean, it's a very inspiring journey. Most people know you from Shark Tank, where you invested millions of dollars of your own money, supporting, you know, budding entrepreneurs, really helping them succeed. But before you were a TV icon, you were a guy with a dream, right? You started FUBU, a streetwear brand, you know, living by this mantra for us, by us, Hollis Queens, a few friends, some help from your mom. Like that story is amazing. And I'm, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit of that origin story and, and the lessons that you took that we could learn from that experience. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, you know, to respect the time we have, uh, listen, uh, right around the 80s, there was this new, I would like to call it a disruptive technology coming out called hip hop. And it was something that the music artists no longer had to play an instrument or be able to harmonize. It was just kids in the street talking about their hopes, their loves, their dreams, aspirations. And hip hop wasn't something that you just listened to, it was something you lived. It came with a way to walk, talk, and dress. However, this emerging music is very much like today's Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat. We didn't know what was going on in the streets of Compton or the streets of Florida, but 
through this music, the kids were communicating. We were also communicating with the way we dressed. But when we would go and support a lot of different companies, they would clearly say, we don't want African-Americans wearing it, or we don't want rappers wearing it, or hey, I made a size pair 32. Why are you wearing a 36? I do not want you wearing it. Now, why, why am I wearing a 36? Because I'm 14 years old, and I probably will only buy one pair of jeans for the next four years, so I'm going to grow into it. How about that? But they didn't understand the issues that were going on in the community, but they didn't want us to wear it. So I came out with a company, and I said, who's ever going to value and love the people they sell to? And I'm going to come up with a name, Ooh, Forest Bias. And a lot of people thought it was about uh, color, but it wasn't because I wasn't going to be a bigot. You know, you never want to become the thing you're fighting against. And I didn't want to be a bigot like the other companies were. And it was about a culture. And it was about a culture to really highlight the beauty of this uh, art that came from the streets of New York. And what did I learn during the course of that time? I learned that I had to take affordable steps. I learned that I had to be obsessed with my customer. Absolutely obsessed. I learned that I would fail more than I would succeed. But because I was taking affordable steps, I can act, I can learn, and I can repeat it again a little more wisely. I learned that entrepreneurship was a team sport, that I needed various other people. I learned about the value of OPM, and OPM is not other people's money. It's other people's manufacturing, mind power, manpower, mentorship. And I was making money off those other clothing lines who disrespect us off of other people's mistakes. And those are the things that I learned. And I learned that people all want to be part of a community. And they want you to transition them in their lives, whether they're transitioning to save more time, whether you're transitioning to be a better person who can add more value to your family, to your customer, to your community, or a simple thing. Right now, if you're at home and you're depressed, Tito's and some Cheetos will transition you for just the moment. Not that I'm saying it's good for you, but you are transitioning somebody. Yeah, I love that. Um, so much to go. I mean, especially now, right? I mean, we've got this world where, you know, you're talking about iterating and growing and taking some steps, learning, adapting, and and I love that idea of learning from, you know, what everyone else is doing and kind of bringing that in. That's that's genius. So maybe that's one of the secrets, but I'm wondering, you know, we've got these seismic changes, right? We've got social change really massively going on, political change, you know, a lot of turmoil, public health emergency. And I think it's reminded us that in life, uh, kind of like in business, change is the only constant, right? It's just that's what we have to contend with. And somehow you've managed to not only stay relevant, but thrive actually, right? You've thrived over the last three decades, you know, founding in I think 92 was FUBU. And so you've done it in this fast moving industry and maybe what's allowed you to do that? You've moved and adapted and morphed and changed and adapted in this ultra competitive world. What lessons can we take from that? And what lessons can our audience kind of grab hold of as they maybe face change for the first time in their business? Yeah, so uh, I think you're right. And I, so what happened? Um, I know my why. I, I get very, very deep into my why. You know, uh, 12 days ago, whatever it was, the first of the year, I do it every year. I write my obituary and I write two obituaries. I write one as a person that loved me and a person that would write about me that felt that I delivered everything in the world to them. And I write the other one as a person that felt I could do more in the world and I let them down. And I write that obituary and I, I reflect on that obituary on how can I be the one that really, you know, and I put myself, whether in my mother's position, my wife's position, or my kid's position on both sides. So I know my why. Then I know that in any industry that I've been into that I've had to educate myself extensively with, uh, you know, what's going on in the industry? How am I going to go about doing it? And who do I need to help me along this journey? And how can I assist them more importantly than they assisting me 
and they will return uh, you know, the favor and or the value to me. And then I start going out and taking affordable steps and I fail. And I also write goals and I have goal setting techniques that I, I read, I read 10 goals before I go to bed every night and the same 10 when I wake up in the morning. Six of them expire in six months, the other four expire in two years, five years, 10 years, and 20 years. And that creates my North Star, my compass. And the reason I read them before I go to bed is because science has said that over 70% of the things you dream about is either what you are fearing is going to happen to you or you hope is going to happen to you. So I want it to be the last thing I think about, the same as we all know when you look at some crazy movie, then all of a sudden your dreams are all screwed up. And the reason I read in the morning is, is because I want to take one action towards it. And I have failed in all those areas. You know, you said I started Google 92. You're correct. But I really started in 89. I failed three times up until 1992. And then the pool became a global brand in 98. And 2004, 2005, it went down. And I acquired various other brands. Kappa, Ted Baker, uh, Married to the Mob, uh, Crown Holder. And I failed at all those brands. And I finally re, uh, had a new acquisition in uh, you know, 2006, I believe it was called Kooji, started doing really well. I'm dyslexic. I put out a book in 2006 and it did okay. My second book failed. My three next books became New York Times bestseller books. I went on to a show that almost got canceled the first three years of the show. And now I'm on my 12th season with five Emmys. And I went to get a, a little physical and they said I may have a little, a little nodule on my thyroid, the one hour surgery became three and a half hours of removing stage two cancer that was slowly moving to my lymph nodes. So it was the size of a golf ball. And I'm cancer free now. And I'm here to share with everybody about early detection. There's many failures I've had in my life. And if I would have stopped when I failed, then I would have never really hit that goal mind that happened afterwards of success. And my first marriage was a failure because I was too busy. You don't give a young man millions of dollars and you leave your wife at home with two little girls and your wife sees you more on TV then she sees you in person. And instead of those, that marriage where those two little girls, I was like, how much money can I make to get to these little girls? Now, while well, I'm married and my other two girls are amazing. My ex-wife is amazing. But I'm now married to my new wife and my little four-year-old girl is how much love can I give this little girl? So you learn through life and you fail often, but it's after those failures that teach you the valuable lessons that you need to move forward. You know, what strikes me when I hear you talk about that is how similar business and life are. Right. You know, you talk about you're going to run into failures. Well, they're going to be on both sides. But sounds like the key is just keep going. Right. It's only a failure if you stop. You know, you got to just keep going, keep learning and finding your why. Like that's I don't hear enough people talk about that. You know, it's like you need that in your life. You need that in your work. And one of the things that struck me about your story was this notion of just grit and persistence, which goes along with kind of, yep, you're going to run into a wall you have to go around it or find a way around it. And, you know, early in your entrepreneurial journey in 89 and 90 and 92, as you, as you mentioned, your mom actually mortgaged her home, right? You guys did that together. I mean, the, I can't, frankly, I cannot imagine the guts it took to make that kind of a step. And so what I'm wondering is, one, were you nervous in that moment? And where did the courage come Particularly because, you know, you are bringing now, obviously, a close family member in, financial ties, not an easy situation. How did you make that happen? I I just am amazed you could get off the dime there. Nerve-wracking. My mother saw me, though, working really hard for four or five years on this, uh, or six years. And then I went to Vegas, and as the story goes, I came back with $300,000 worth of orders. 
I did not have any financial intelligence and I didn't have the right mentors in those areas. So I went around and I got turned down by 27 banks. Um, and listen, I know how my loan application sounded. I would have turned myself down too. And my mother said, I wouldn't do this for you if you know I can see how hard you're working. But I was also contributing to the house. I was paying half of the mortgage since I was 14 years old because my mother and I were a team. It was just me and my mother. And I still, you know, my mother's still around. So, so I'm very blessed. Um, but she said, here's the deal. You have $300,000 in orders. I'm going to go take all the money we can out of this house. You're going to manufacture the clothes and then you're going to deliver clothes, put the money back in. My mother goes and gets a $100,000 loan on my house. And I have no idea how because the house is worth 75. So until today, I haven't asked my mother what she did for the rest of the money. Shout out to moms. And, uh, you know, my uh, my mother moves out. My friends move in. I turn my house into a factory. But I didn't have any financial intelligence. And the, the $100,000 that I had, I turned around three months later, it was $500 left. And I was three months later on the mortgage. They were going to take my home. And that was the scariest moment of my life. My mother and I thought that the home was going to be on nest egg forever. Because I was spending money 90 days ahead of time buying real goods. I was paying for my machine, my staff. I was paying for shipping and my accounts receivables, 30, 60, 90 days. And that was the scariest moment of my life. And that's when my mother told me what OPM was. And that's the point. She said, you need OPM. You need a strategic partner. And I said, what the hell is that? She said, I need $2,000. I was working at Red Lobster at the time. I go to Red Lobster. I sling as many biscuits as I can. And in one month, I come in with $2,000. She said, I have an idea. I give my mother money. What's this brilliant idea? She takes the money and says, I'm going to put an ad in the newspaper. And I said, that has got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Mom, give me back my money. I forbid you to do it. So ladies, when a man in your life, any man in your life forbids you to do something, what do you do? Here's how the ad went. $1 million in orders need financing. 33 people call that ad. 30 of them were loan sharks, really nasty people. 40% interest, live in their adequate collateral. I mean, nasty people, people named Kevin O'Leary, really, really nasty people. But three of them were real, and one was Samsung's textile division, and they called, and we ended up doing the deal, and I would do $30 million worth of sales in the first month of closing that deal. Wow. I mean, that's an astounding story. I don't know if everyone caught that, but while Damon was starting this business with his mom, you know, sewing machine in hand was also working at Red Lobster. Like that's just, I mean, that just says it all I think about determination. And, you know, in the end, it's one of your most visible successes, right? $6 billion, probably more now in sales. That's billion with a B. You've got the Shark Group where you've helped other businesses now become successful. You know, Bubba's Q, Bomba Socks, just to name a few. And what I'm interested in and what might help some of the audience here who is you know, starting their business and running their businesses, when you're on Shark Tank, you have to make split-second decisions. Invest, don't invest. Like, spur of the moment. That's all. You, you have very little information. How do you make that call? How do you evaluate these companies? And if you end up working with them, imagine working with someone who's watching today, what would you tell them to focus on to take their business to the next level? Well, so those pitches are around an hour. We don't know anything about those people. And we have an hour and we go back and forth. And in that time, I'm doing various different things. Number one, I want to hear your story. And I want to hear how you not only have succeeded, but I want to hear your failures and how you had the resilience and the passion to push through those. And you still want to continue to push through those. I want to hear your inventory. If you know what you know and what you don't know. If you know that you don't understand CRM, I mean, listen, every business, you can't know everything. I was a designer. 
You think I understood at the same time manufacturing, warehousing, clearing quota from China, uh, social media marketing, social media wasn't out, but whatever, you can't, accounting, uh, CRM, you can't know everything. So I want to know, do you know your shortcomings and where you know that you need help? I want to know how who your customer is. A lot of times you see people on there and they say, well, customers, everybody. No, it's not. And if you don't know your customer, then you are looking for me to give you money for tuition. I need to know that you know your customer. My, my customer was very simple. He was 18 to 30 years old, loved hip hop, would pay a little bit higher for the goods. I uh, lived in New York City, most likely was loved sneakers as well. And I knew that the clubs they would hang out with and they didn't pay 39 for a screen printed shirt and 49 for an embroidered shirt and 69 for a sweatshirt. I knew exactly where they were. 65% of them wore black, 25% of the sales were white. In between, Court created another couple of dollars, and they like two very specific logos, and they all love triple X, no matter what. Even if you were 100 pounds at that time, you were wearing the triple X shirt because you never wanted a woman to call you small. So what I would do, I would take the small shirts and cut the labels out and put triple X in them. There you go, little man. So you have to know every single thing about your customer. And then what does the shark add value? Where the shark is not a crutch. The shark is another asset, but you still got to run the business. Because if you think the shark knows everything, well, then FUBU would be Nike, and it's not. You have to still run your business. And last but not least, I got to like you. I got to personally like you. If I don't like you, I will buy one of your sponges. I don't have to buy the company. And if I want to make money, I don't have to talk to you. You know why? Because if I send my money over to Salesforce, I send my money over to Apple, or I send my money over to Tesla, they're not going to dust off Steve Jobs and he's going to ask me about any problems. They're just going to either say you made money or not. And I ain't got to listen to them. So I got to like you. If, whether you're selling me something from Salesforce or whether I'm investing in you or whether you're coming into my office to work for me, am I going to be happy to get on Zoom with you uh, maybe eight hours a day, five days a week for the next five years of my life? Yeah, it's it's such a great point. You know, sometimes in business we get so focused on our product or our brand and and we forget there's a human connection going on there too. And it's easy to miss that. I mean, we all want to be around people we like, that we have fun with, that we connect with, that give us energy, that don't drain us energy. So I'm I'm totally fun. with COVID-19 has forced a whole reset in the world of business. Everything seems to have changed almost overnight. How has that impacted your business? And and what I'm really curious about is how you've leveraged technology to adapt and change in, in, into this kind of new normal that we're all facing. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, well, first, you know, using technology, how are you, as I always say, trying to be one step away from the money? You know, I grew up in a business where I made a product and maybe uh, a retailer would buy it. And if they buy it, they stock it. Maybe the kid would take it out of the back and put it on a rack. And then maybe somebody will pick it up and, Hopefully that person's not one of those, you know, you've been to a store where you've had something in your hand, you can't find a register or the line is too long, and then maybe they're in a person. So how can you use the data and information to communicate with your consumers one-on-one and over-deliver to them as well as taking in the information on, um, you know, how are they doing and where where are they in their lives and, and how can you have empathy for whatever they need? And empathy doesn't have to mean sorrow. It means understanding of where they want to go. I mean, we use Salesforce now to to track our leads and our customers and make sure that all the entire team who are now working virtually are on the same page and there's transparency 
So in the event that there is a ball dropped or there's a problem or an issue or a celebration uh, or a proposal needed or whatever, or, or a proposal adjusted, it needs to be uh, addressed. And we're using technology internally way more than ever before. Um, so this is extremely a great time. I call this time the rise of the machines. You know, it's either you're going to be John Connor trying to kill the Terminator and somehow you'll never be able to kill or you're going to be George Jetson with the damn machines, wake you up in the morning, shave you and bathe you and take you to work and slide down the tube to your desk. This is a great time to be in such a place where you have so many tools at your fingertips. Yeah, it's amazing. I definitely feel more like the George Jetson these days, walking six steps to my desk, but maybe we'll make that transition. I, I love the the notion of technology kind of in, as this you know vehicle for adapting to change and and our CEO, Mark Benioff, talks about business overall as this platform for change as well. And sometimes I think people think they need to be big to make a big difference. Okay, Damon, it's about to get real. I think you're probably pretty good at live audience work, but you know we're going to do it. We're going to try it again today with some Q&A. So cool. we've got some questions coming in. I've got them over on the monitor. And if you're you ready to go, you ready to do this? All right. All right. Let's make it happen. Okay, the first one we've got, it comes from Twitter, at Dreddy Pineapple. And do you have any tips for staying motivated, especially during these times when things are slow? Yeah, so um, I already said uh, the couple of things that are important. What is your why? Are you really doing it for yourself? Are you doing it because society, various other people? Then take inventory. What are the assets that you have? You're not going to be able to be in control of various other things because so many other things are happening in this world. What do you have on hand? Is it time on hand? Is it education? Is it the people around you? If you do not have the right people around you, how do you find the right people around you? Life is a series of mentors. Take affordable steps as well. And those are the only things that I can really say because to give somebody advice not knowing what assets and what liabilities they have is very difficult. These are all very personal matters. So it really is something that you have to tap into every single thing that you can do within your control, educate yourself, mentors and take affordable steps. You know, I love you mentioned mentors. One of the questions that came through from Christine in the Q&A, which is what is the best way to find a mentor? I'm sure you get this question quite a bit. Any advice for Christine here? Yeah, so there are various different forms of mentors. Uh, there are mentors who you will never meet. Napoleon Hill is my mentor. He's been dead for quite some time. Um, you know, he wrote a great book and various people do. There are other ways of grabbing live content and or talking to people here. If you're talking about a physical mentor, first of all, find somebody that you would like to be. And that does not mean that they have to be in your space. You know, when somebody goes to raise capital, they usually have a board that is very diverse. Somebody is excellent in manufacturing. Somebody is excellent in finance and somebody is excellent in marketing. Also, when you seek the mentor, understand what is in it for the mentor. The line of people talking to mentors is saying, well, just help me. Well, a lot of starts here. It ends somewhere at the Brooklyn Bridge. But if you, most successful people want to mentor you, it may be in your company right now. But what you have to do is what's in it. So what is a great pitch for me, you know, that a kid had did for me uh, a couple of years back and said, Mr. John, I know that you're on the Petco board for a foundation for saving animals. I don't have any money, but I just want to know, can I speak to you once every month? But in, in, if you do that, I am going to donate five hours on the week, a week, towards the local ASPCA shelter to save the little furry friends of ours. And if possible, can you give me one hour a month? And I would end up giving the kid five hours a month because the kid put 
the value proposition in front of me and I realized he was worth the trouble. Yeah, I think that's cool. You made me think, any quick book recommendations? You talk about Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. What, any other top two or three? Uh, you know, I'm dyslexic, so I like little books, but Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow I love Blue Ocean Strategy. I love the greatest uh, salesperson in Babylon. Of course, anything on Genghis Khan, how he strategically thought over many, many years when preparing for a war. And simple books, Who Moved My Cheese? And One Minute Manager, especially. You know, in, in our business, one minute manager is this simple, but the bottom line is don't assume you know what your job is and don't assume as a boss that you know the person you, know, you are directing knows what their job is. Make sure you have the, the criteria and the ways to communicate so there are little room for mistakes. But a lot of times we go through life saying, well, I assumed that that person knew that was their job. But did you tell them? Hmm, not really. Yeah, you know, it's so simple, but we skip the basics, right? We skip the foundation and we want to jump to the advanced stuff. And you learn these things in relationships too. I remember my first wife, she used to always say, I'm cooking for you. I want to be a good wife. I, at, at eight o'clock, you're not eating food. I'm like, babe, I don't want to do that. I just want to come home and not talk about anything in my world. I want to hear about your world for the first hour. No, but I cook for you. Babe, I got to go to dinner with three different clients every single day that I don't like. I am already... 40 pounds overweight. The last thing I want to do when I come home is eat again. But her perception and my perception were two totally different things. Yeah, we're growing all the time. I love it. Continue back to some questions here. So we've got a question from Courtney Bailey. And she says, can you touch base on your 10 goals again? You mentioned some expire in six months, the other four in a couple of years. What other steps do you take to help you reach these goals? Do we have time? It'll take about five minutes. Oh, we have time for sure. Let's do it. All right. Everybody will benefit off of this because I think this is the most important reason for success. The three most important reasons for success is number one, understanding your why, no matter how cold and how dark it is. Number two is setting your goals. And number three is finding mentors, which is education. So the 10 goals that I set, I set six of them expiring six months and the other expiring two years, five years, 10 years, and 20 years. This is one of the most important parts also. I do not look at social media or I do not look at um, emails for the first hour when I wake up in the morning. Why? Because I read my goals and in those times of reading my goals, I'm meditating, I'm taking it all in, right? And if you look at social media the first hour when you wake up, I promise you everybody is skinnier, sexier, and richer than you. And for some reason or another, they're on a beach. When that's not the truth, they're just all screwed up just as much as you and I are. And I also do not look at emails because, unfortunately, you'll look at an email before you even kiss your significant other or hug your child while you're in the bed. You're letting everybody else's problems come into your life right there and then before you even brush your teeth. That's like Paul waking you up. Hey, buddy, I got a question to ask you. You know, so don't do that. Make sure you concentrate your goals. So here's how the goals are set. The reason why I set them for every six months is because I never hit them. If I say I'm going to make this amount of money, I make this amount and I reset it, right? And that's why there's six months. And the ones that are two years, five years, and 10 years, you also have to visualize yourself in the goal. So I'll give you a five-year goal. If you said you wanted to make, you wanted to move someplace and get this house in five years, well, you have to close your eyes as you think about the home and what you think about well, is it colonial or is it modern? Is it a glass doorknob? Is it a brass doorknob? Is it a big black wooden door or is it uh, some other kind of door? When you open the door, is it a winding staircase or is it an open room and you see in the backyard? But what's in the backyard? Is it your boat on a dock in the backyard? Is it the desert? Is it a forest? 
Do you hear your kids running down the stairs saying, mommy and daddy, you're home? Is bread baking because food is almost ready? And is there a dog? You have to visualize yourself there. And that's why you set goals. The reason why you set goals is because you're trying to take over in your mind the other goals that other people are setting. Because if you're not in control of what you're thinking about, you're going to have other people say, you can't make $10 million in sales. You can't get that education. You can't get that new position. It's never happened in our family before. I've never heard of that. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to embarrass us. And you are consciously thinking of those goals. You become what you think about most of the time. So here's how you set the six-month goals. And I'm going to show you a real six-month goal. Most of my goals uh, go from health to faith to family to work. But I'm going to give you one that I never hit, and it's very clear. I'm going to get down to 175 pounds by June 1st. And here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to lose a pound and a half a week by drinking 10 bottles of water, walking over 10,000 steps, substituting one of my meals with a green drink and not eating fried foods and cutting out meats and not eating after 6 p.m. except for fruits and various other things. And I'm also going to do weight training three days a week because muscle eats up more than fat. And in return for getting down to 175 pounds. Now, here's the kicker. It goes back to your why. I'm going to live longer. I'm going to stay cancer free. And I'm going to walk my three little beautiful girls down the aisle. Now, so what happens right there? I look at the target. I can imagine myself at that target. Now, here's the methods of going through that target and the incremental uh, celebrations of one and a half pounds by a week and the visualization of me walking my three little girls down the aisle at 175 pounds. And that's how you set your goals. I love that. I, what I really love is you're more obsessed in a way with like the process and getting it done. Like you, if you miss the goal, it doesn't seem like a big deal. And I think a lot of people are like, oh man, it's, it's going to stress me out. And you just use it as this beacon. And then you start your day by not getting derailed, right? Don't let anyone derail your day. You own your day. I just love that notion. You know what? And I'm human. And do I miss a week of those? Yes. Do some other things happen? Yes. But you know what I also do? I play music. I love playing a Bill Conte and Rocky themes while I'm listening to it. So what happens? Sometimes I'm in the car and I'm not even thinking about my goals, but I turn on the music and that track list of what my goals are. And I'm just zoning out and it's already playing in my mind like a soundtrack. I love that. There's there's so I mean, I could I could go on for hours about that. Like that is that's like right in my favorite topic of the world. So I'm, I'm super into that stuff. I really love it. And actually, this isn't an audience question, but ever since I heard we were going to be chatting, it's been on my mind. And here it is. Like you founded FUBU, you know, 89, 90, 90, depending on the, the year you give, it's right around the 30 year anniversary, right? So we're right around that. And I'm wondering, like you lean into life, you go big, you set big goals, you know, any big plans to celebrate? Like you've got to be doing something that would just be epic around this. You know, we haven't thought about what it will be, um, but we want to celebrate in a way that we inspire the new generation to go out and create their own version and their own worlds of Google. We've been seeing Google uh, pop up in so many ways, whether it be uh, an LGBT community feel that they're Google or it be mompreneurs, the various other things. We're just so happy that we happen to have like uh, the first hashtag when it came to clothing and that it inspires people. And, and I would have never thought that a name I created out of my basement would become something globally recognized. And uh, we're just honored and proud. So I'm not sure what we'll do, but whatever we will do, it will be about the people and, and how can we get more people to be excited and have their own version of who and take power of their culture or their generation or 
your passion. Yeah, it, it really does come out that that human side of what you do. And and I love it because, you know, again, business can become so sterile in some ways and, and oftentimes cutthroat and and all about, you know, I got to be better than that person. We have to make more than that. And, you know, you've shifted it in a way, right? It, it's more personal. Like even early, it was about the community. It was about your friends coming on board. It was about, you know, your mother and you teaming up. And now it's about helping others grow and create the dream that they want and make it real and visualize it and see it and then make it happen. And and I think people forget that it is all about kind of connection and humanity. And, you know, that's what it's about. A hundred percent. I mean, once you connect with people, they want to fight for you. And that's how you see them bomb the socks. They know that they're giving away a pair to people that are in need and they're going to go out there and wave the flag and feel like they want, they're part of something much bigger, even though they bought one pair of socks. doesn't matter. They feel good about it. Bomb, by the way, 40 million pairs of socks being given away. Like I, I'm just, I read that. I was like, is this a typo? Like it's astounding. And they, they found a way to, to combat, you know, homelessness and make money. And I just think that's the wave of the future. I really love that idea. Double bottom line. And for all watching your customers, the same way they feel, they feel that, you know, you can buy anything from anybody these days. We're too connected. So a lot of times when they see what you're doing, they go, well, what are you doing for somebody else? They want to know. And if you, if you're stamping something on just to do it, they're going to see right through you. But if you generally care about what you're doing for somebody else, people will connect. People will love you. People will value you. Yeah, I buy that, especially now when, you know, every product, every business is a click away, right? So why work with you? I mean, it goes back to your notion of, I have to like you, right? And that can be in a one-on-one interaction or liking your mission and understanding your why and aligning with your why. So I think that's an important message. Absolutely. Well, Damon, I don't want to take up your whole day. Loved our conversation. I really want to thank you for taking the time to share your experience, your wisdom, your unique approach to business and honestly to life. There was a lot of life lessons in here that, that I know I'm taking away. Just want to wish you continued success in 21 and beyond. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And thank you everybody who watched Salesforce. Thank you so much for all you do for the everyday entrepreneur as well as big companies, of course. And I wish everybody, uh, you know, health and safety and, you know, 2020 was crazy, but 2021 is going to be crazier. I mean, look at what happened only a couple of days in 2021. The first week of the year, you know what happened? Kim and Kanye announced that they're breaking up. Well, you can you imagine what that would have ever happened? All joke aside, everybody, please be safe. Love your family and value this time. And 2021 will be amazing for you. Love it, Damon. Thank you. You got it. All right. Well, that was amazing. So I hope everyone got as much from those conversations as I did. I want to thank you for joining us today. Have a great rest of your day. That was Damon John speaking with Salesforce's SVP of product, Paul Pedrezzi. We hope you enjoyed our show today. And for insights on this topic and others, head over to salesforce.com slash blog for resources to help guide you through today's changing economic and social environments. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Thanks for listening.